Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Luke Holloway, editor at the CII. In this episode, I'll be talking to Claire Russell and James Morehouse. In this episode of the podcast, we're talking about making the insurance profession more inclusive for those with a history of poor mental health. And we're joined by James Morehouse, content manager at the CII, and Claire Russell, CEO and founder of Mental Health in Business. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links, go to thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here's our conversation with Claire and James. Hello, Claire, and hello, James, and thank you very much for joining us today on CII Radio. Hello, Luke. Thank you. Good to be here. Very pleased to have you. So, um, yeah, thank you for speaking to us today. Firstly, Claire, if we could begin with you, um, could you kind of give us an idea of what kind of barriers there are preventing those with a history of poor mental health from entering work? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a great question and actually something that I think we do need to have a bit more of a focus around. I think, I think there's a few things. I think from... From an individual's perspective, so, you know, from, for those individuals that may themselves have a history of, of poor mental health, I think from, from their perspective, there's still a lot of taboo around talking about mental health issues. There's still a lot of misunderstanding. So even though over the last few years there's been this, you know, huge increase in awareness and, and a huge body of work that's emerged around mental health in the workplace, I still... I th- I think there still is that taboo there and people are still afraid of talking about their own mental health for fear that they'll be negatively judged or out of concern about whether they will be fully supported or whether it will be held against them in some way. And I think also on the business's part, I think there's still barriers there from the business perspective as well. You know, I think many businesses, while there is generally in most businesses now a real desire to do the right thing and a real desire to create mentally healthy workplaces I think there's still a lot of understanding around the capability of most people that have mental health issues you know the reality is that the the number of people that experience really severe mental health issues that that do prevent them from being at work and from contributing effectively that's that's a relatively small number of people you know the majority of people that have mental health issues actually with the right support in place they can contribute really effectively within the workplace and they can have fulfilling careers and make a great contribution to the businesses that they work for. So when we're speaking about insurance in particular, are there any additional or specific barriers that you feel are connected to the insurance profession? Yeah, (laughs) yes, I think there are. And, you know, I'm coming at this from a number of angles. You know, as you've said, I, I run mental health and business, but my background is in the insurance industry. You know, I've been I've been an insurance broker for over 25 years and I had a pretty catastrophic breakdown several years ago. So, you know, I come from kind of that personal experience as well. And in my professional experience and and my personal experience as well, you know, I've seen within the insurance industry, there is still a long way to go in terms of creating the kind of culture that is necessary 
if people are going to be able to be at work, get into work, remain at work when they've got mental health issues and actually be supported and, and able to thrive. And, you know, you might ask, well, why are those barriers there in the insurance profession particularly? And, you know, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the insurance industry actually is one of the most costly professions or industries when it comes to mental ill health. So what that means is there's more people in the insurance industry that experience mental ill health than than other professions and, and business types. Um, you know, I, I don't have an answer as to why that is, but, but there's a lot of evidence to show that, that that's the case. And I think that many of those people are either struggling and not doing very well at work and not talking about what they need, or actually they're dropping out of work. They're leaving their businesses because they're, you know, they're not getting the support that they need and, and therefore their, you know, their health isn't good enough that they can continue at work. I think historically in the insurance industry, there's been a culture of not talking about how we feel. You know, that's not been something that's been encouraged within the workplace. There's been more of an attitude of leave your personal stuff outside the door. And, you know, when you're at work, you're at work and we're here to do, you know, to get on and do our jobs. And and I think that attitude still to some extent prevails. And I think we've still got work to do to change those attitudes and, and, and the culture that we've got within businesses. Um, Claire, you've spoken in some of your recent work highlighting that around 300,000 people with long-term mental health problems actually lose their jobs every year in the UK. Um, so it's a huge problem, not obviously for employees, but also for employers as well and, and a cost to, to business in, in Britain. Absolutely. It's a, you know, it's, there's, there's so much cost involved, you know, outside of the, you know, the, the, the cost of those, those individuals and individuals perhaps, you know, being away from work for a time. But if we're, if we're losing people from our businesses like that, if we're losing so many people that are dropping dropping out of work and leaving their jobs there's a massive cost to our businesses in in that turnover and in replacing people and you know actually there's so much value in supporting people to to remain at work and to to get well again and to make the contribution that they're capable of making you know over and above what's kind of really obvious on the bottom line Absolutely. Um, obviously, the last six months, you know, 2020 has been uh, an incredibly strange and, and, and tough time for a lot of employees and a lot of businesses. Um, I know you've both done work around this in the last six months during the pandemic. Um, how do you both feel that, that lockdown has impacted uh, mental health in terms of people's professional lives? James, what do you think? People have had to readjust overnight to an unprecedented situation and this includes people who may have already had mental health conditions or created ones for those that may have felt that they were stable initially. Many people have either had to continue working despite the restrictions and having to commute and expose themselves that way. Other people have started working from home overnight. And whilst that might sound ideal, we don't know what's going on with everyone. And so some people may be living alone and feel incredibly isolated. As you say, it's been going on for six months now. That isolation has turned to detachment. And so it might be very difficult not only to engage with the work that they're doing, but with their colleagues and people outside of their home as well. 
And then, of course, not everyone has an ideal working environment at home. Some people are living with their families. Some people have children, so they have to balance the childcare along with sharing communal spaces. Even if there are communal spaces, not everybody has those. Some people are literally working off their laptop, off their knee in their bedroom. Some people are in abusive relationships and they're now trapped in their home environment with their abuser. And that's exacerbating things that are already there. And so it's had a profound effect on on lots of different people in, in many different ways. And as I said before, those that may have been fine before lockdown are now experiencing new pressures and as well as trying to maintain their normal day-to-day job. And you know that, that's very difficult as well as trying to say, arrange appointments with the doctor that's not always possible to do in person at the moment some people may not have disclosed their mental health condition and so if they're on medication that might put them in a compromising position if the people they live with don't know and so it's kind of creating all these unique different issues and they're still ongoing we still don't really know how long this is going to go on for and especially now that there's a mixture of people who are now returning back to the office is that because they want to or because they need to? It's the, the, There are so many different facets within this that it's, it's going to continue to keep on growing, I think, at the moment. And the good thing about this is it's hopefully going to be a catalytic event so that we're going to be able to finally give this the attention that it deserves and to finally acknowledge that, as Claire was saying before, you can't always leave your personal life at home. It is part of you. You bring yourself to work. And if you can't do that, especially if you work at home, there's going to be problems and the there's going to be an increase of number of people who are going to have to leave their jobs if that's not taken into account. Absolutely. Um, Claire, James highlighting obviously some of the unique challenges that not only exist or have existed during the last six months during lockdown, but now as we're kind of told that we're returning to work and, uh, and offices are reopening, I mean, what kind of impact have you seen throughout the pandemic and, and now where supposedly that, that, that is easing? Yeah, so I mean, I agree with everything that James has said. And I think, you know, something that we all have to, to bear in mind is, you know, yes, restrictions are in some places are easing and yes, you know, many of our businesses are working through a process of looking at how we return to work and, you know, maybe making changes to our working practices going forward and all of those things. And I think, you know, we've got to bear in mind that for those people whose mental health has deteriorated over the last several months and for those people that have begun to experience symptoms of mental ill health for the first time, this is a time of great anxiety for everybody and for, for people that are experiencing you know, more or increased or new symptoms of mental ill health, that anxiety um, is very difficult to deal with. You know, anxiety is, is a kind of recipe for, um, you know, for, for, for mental ill health for people that have those kinds of issues. Anxiety in itself is a it's a normal physiological and psychological response to uncertainty. But for people that have a predisposition to poor mental health, those kinds of increased levels of uncertainty and anxiety, you know, that can be really very damaging. So, you know, as, as business owners and business leaders, I think we've got to be really aware of that. You know, we've got to ramp up our 
communication style and skills and the amount of communication that we're doing with our people. We've got to make sure that people are very clear on what's expected of them and what's happening and what the next stage looks like insofar as we can, because those those feelings of anxiety, are, you know, they're not going away anytime soon. That all of the evidence that I can see coming out from, um, you know, various mental health advisors and um, some of the the experts that we rely on in our business, all of all of the evidence suggests that, you know, the mental health impact is actually going to be far more far-reaching than the financial impact that most of us are going to be experiencing out of this pandemic. So, you know, it needs a long-term view. So um, let's talk about some of the, the help that is on offer for, for people that are struggling with, with mental health. Claire, could you tell us about what kind of support is out there for, for employees, but also um, what companies can do to help support their employees who are perhaps struggling or indeed to help support them in maintaining good mental health? Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, in terms of what's out there for employees, um, you know, there's there's so much free information now that's available that people can easily access. Um, there's some great mental health charities. Mind is one that, um, you know, most people are really familiar with. And, and lots of others, if you do a search on the internet, you can find, you know, you can find lots of other um, charities that provide great advice and support and tools. Business in the community is a great is a great resource um, and they make lots of resources available that could be downloaded, which is just kind of helpful um, documents and, and guidance um, notes and things like that that you can refer to. All employees ought to be finding out what's available within their, their organisation because most organisations, certainly that I've worked with, now will have something like an employee assistance programme most businesses will have something like that in place within their organisation. And if there is something like that, then generally employees are able to access things like counselling and other kinds of help and support free of charge. So I'd really encourage every individual employee to go in, go back into their business and ask what's available. Is there an employee assistance programme? And in terms of what companies can do to support their employees, you know, I would really encourage all businesses now to start thinking very seriously about what training and support they make available to the people that, that work for them. You know, I said earlier on, there's been a lot of work done in the last few years around raising awareness. So most businesses now have a reasonable conversation going on around mental health most businesses have a reasonable at least level of understanding about mental health and the, the ways that you know people might need help and support but what I haven't seen happen yet um, and particularly within the insurance industry there hasn't been that leap from all of that talk and that awareness to actually businesses taking real action, real tangible action and putting in place, you know, really practical tools within their businesses. So, you know, what kind of tools do I think businesses should be putting in place to support their employees? Well, I think every business should be training mental health first aiders. That's it's going to become a legal requirement in the in the not too distant future. Every business should have at least one, depending on the size of the business. All businesses should be doing 
mental health focused training for those with line management responsibility uh, and then making sure that there are proper support pathways in place so that you know if somebody is highlighted as having issues with their mental health that there is a proper pathway to support them internally and externally so you know you've got information readily available within the business whether you can signpost people to so if somebody puts their hand up and says do you know what i'm struggling i need some help here but there's actually some information and resources within the business that's readily available so you know where to signpost people to just to, to add on that i agree again with what you've been saying claire and i think employees need to also be more flexible i know Pretty much they're all being very flexible at the moment with remote working. But as you say, we're building awareness. I think we are aware now, but what do we do with that awareness? And I think the way that employers treat their employees still needs to improve. So, you know, if people need to go for appointments to a doctor or for counselling, that should be just as easy as booking a holiday. Before lockdown, I worked from home one day a week because I found different pressures too much and my manager was very accommodating with that and I've found out from other people that they've been able to to work out some sort of convenient arrangement that that suits them and then they can kind of plan the day that they work from home to do the things that they might not be able to do in the office or it's not as noticeable that they can go to the doctor or or, or be seen for some counselling. I think just kind of recognising that we're all different and that we've all got different needs instead of treating everyone the same. It's very important that we recognise that we all cope with things differently and what depression might mean for someone might be very different for someone else, but it doesn't mean that neither of them have it. It just means that they're coping with it in different ways. And I think to be able to to recognise that is just as valuable as providing additional resources as well, which is great. But I think as you say, we need to encourage people to take more of a proactive approach and offer training from HR or, or from courses from within. And, you know, if, if the, the place is large enough to have mental health first aid is that people can talk to, because it can be very intimidating having to make an appointment with either your line manager or HR, as great as they may be. It's always a bit scary when it's someone above whereas at least a mental health first aider might be someone who might be on, on the same level as you at work and it might be easier to start conversations that way yes certainly it's, it's very important that, that companies are open to these issues and and flexible and understanding when it comes to the, the needs of their employees so but touching back on on kind of access to insurance and, and, and accessing the talent that is out there are there kind of specific resources that employers can find that can ensure they avoid putting up these barriers that we did talk about earlier yeah I'll, I'll, I'll answer first on that if I may yeah I mean there are there are so many resources that are available and you know that I think that's that's the frustrating thing really when you you know you see you see organizations sometimes that aren't sort of taking the action that they can and I think sometimes it's out of reticence thinking that you know they've they've got to spend a lot of money or expend a lot of their resources and actually it's not always the case, you know, there are there are lots of great resources available. I've mentioned business in the community already. 
business in the community have some brilliant resources for employers um, that, that you know you can access easily um, which are really really great when it comes to helping employers do do the right thing from a mental health perspective there was a, a study done in 2017 called the thriving at work report which was an independent review into workplace mental health and I would encourage every organisation, every business that employs people to read that report because it contains some fantastic advice in terms of what businesses should be doing to avoid creating those barriers that you've mentioned. Um, and as part of that report, there's um, some core standards which are really, really simple, straightforward things, the six core standards, and every business should be working to those, those core standards. And if they are, then, you know, my view is actually they would be um, going a long way to not creating those barriers that we've been talking about. I think sharing resources is also really helpful. So I know, including where I work, some places might offer discounts to, to gyms or discounts to healthy eating places. But I think, especially during lockdown, there's been a wealth of fantastic material from publishers, from insurtech providers, from insurers themselves, offering webinars, roundtables, discussions about mental health. And they've, they've broken it down in different ways. So it might be, how can we create more inclusive policies for our customers? How do we look after our own staff? Or how do we instill a good mental health awareness from from the top down and it's been great to see so many people discussing it and i think those things are only going to be successful if people know that they're going on and i encourage people to to sign up to them just as much as it would be interesting to to sign up to a company sports team or to go on a night out with your colleagues these are all different but very important pieces that i think create the working experience and they all work very well together and I think these things need to keep happening and there's, there's going to be many more conversations to come yet and so I think now's a good time to, to, to highlight and promote and share those from across the company. Excellent. And finally to you, James, um, obviously the CII is doing uh, continual work around this subject. Um, can you tell us about some of the things they're doing to support companies in making um, the insurance profession and, and financial services more accessible? Sure. So what we've done over the past couple of years is we've looked at some of the core issues that either affect customers or affect particular types of job role within the insurance sector. And so we've looked at things like what is it like to make an insurance claim? You know, that is that can be a very stressful process. And that can be a stressful process both for the person making the claim and the person actually having to process the claim themselves. We talk about some of the barriers within the insurance profession, I think because they are seen as the person that you turn to when things have gone wrong or the person that you want to protect you, that has that person has a lot of responsibility and it can be very harrowing and traumatic for someone either to have to, to share the experience of the customer or if it's not going to go the way that the customer intended, especially if they've already got mental health conditions. And so it's about trying to rewire people's brains 
to be able to provide a better customer service and also to have a 360 degree approach on mental health. That it's, it's just as important to look after your customers as it is yourself and your colleagues. And then we've also been looking at how to make the application process fairer and more manageable for, for customers as well. And of course, that's putting the onus on underwriters and brokers on how to promote good mental health that way and how to make better steps towards understanding it as well. And so to do that, we've been publishing good practice guides that breaks those topics down into particular areas. We've also got blogs from CIM members, from people on the policy and public affairs team, and from board members across our insurance societies who share their experiences or their concerns about things that are going that they would like to see improved or or sharing things that they think are working really well. And then finally, we also have professional focus lectures where we focus on different topics, including professional skills and mental health. And so we've been focusing on how to work remotely effectively, how to communicate properly and how to improve your emotional intelligence. So even if you might be okay, is how to to recognize and support the people that you're talking to so that that way you're engaging with people better and you know, hopefully you'll learn something about yourself as well. Fantastic. And and Claire, perhaps if we could get some final thoughts on you, you know, as as this pandemic does hopefully ease and we, we are kind of coming out of lockdown and, and, and back to the office. Um, I mean, what are your kind of thoughts on how you'd like to see the leadership in, in the UK and businesses kind of build, effectively build back better towards um, a more positive mental health in business? I think it's about, you know, really listening to, you know, people and what their experiences has actually been over the last several months. You know, I think as business owners and leaders, we can be very focused on the, you know, financial impact and, you know, the practicalities of getting through the, this, the time that we've been in. But I think it's really important that we are speaking to our people and, you know, really making sure that we understand the challenges that they have been facing and how they've impacted on them. And then taking forward some of the positive things that, that we've learned. You know, I've seen in the last few months, we work with lots and lots of businesses, particularly in the insurance industry. And I've seen a, a different style of leadership emerging through this. And I've seen people that didn't necessarily shine as leaders previously, really stepping into their ability as leaders and really beginning to shine and bringing different qualities to leadership. So, you know, my view is that what we need now in terms of the next phase is a more compassionate and empathetic style of leadership. And I think that, you know, hasn't been terribly present in this industry. And I think, you know, I'm I'm seeing it more now. And, you know, that's what I'd like to see come through more in in um in businesses as we kind of go forward from here. Excellent. Um you, you've both touched on a number of resources which are available. Where could our listeners go um to find out more information, Claire? Where would you you tell them to to head? Well first of all I would definitely direct them at my website. Um, <laughs> we 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 make a lot of resources available. So we do a lot of free stuff. We do a lot of webinars, video content, downloadable resources. 
Um, so there's a lot available on our website. So it's mhib.co.uk. Aside from that, I've mentioned a few times business in the community. I'd really recommend that both businesses and, and employees check that out because there are some great resources there. I think for, for employers, I'd, I'd really recommend that they download the um, Stevenson and Farmer Review, the Thriving at Work report, and, and check that out and have a think about how they can take some of those guidance notes back into their businesses. And then for individuals, you know, if you're an individual that is struggling with your mental health, you know, I hope that the support that you need is available within your organisation. Please, please speak up and ask for help because, you know, if people don't speak up, then we will never achieve the cultural change that we need. But if you need help that isn't available or more help um, than what is available within your organisation, then, you know, I would really encourage you to go and speak to somebody like the Samaritans who you can speak with in complete confidence and you know if you if you need to go and go and see your GP and, and get some help because you know for some of us we do need that you know we do need the additional help of, of our doctor over and above the kind of talking therapy and help and support that might be available through our businesses. Absolutely. Thank you, Claire. And and James, um, some of the content and the resources you've mentioned are presumably available through the, the CIR website? Yeah. If people want to go to the learning content hub section or the insights section on the main CII website, you'll find that we update our documents and resources all the time. And, and similarly, if you go to the individual society website, so that's insurance broking, claims professionals, or underwriting professionals, they also have a learning content hub section on each one, which we regularly update with guides, resources, lectures. And as I say, we're we're updating those. And then apart from the charities we mentioned, such as Mind and Mental Health UK, it's also worth looking out for upcoming webinars. So Cover Magazine have been doing some phenomenal work on the protection market. And they also did a conference earlier in the year, which I think they're repeating later. And just kind of keep your eye on what's in the news and, and what's being published because it's it's happening and changing all the time. I was just going to add, actually, um, I don't know why I didn't mention it, but we, Mental Health and Business, we are running webinars for quite a lot of the local institutes. So, you know, for those that are members of local institutes, it's definitely worth keeping an eye out. I know there are other mental health webinars that are being run, um, done for some of the local institutes, but certainly we're doing lots of those. So um, just worth watching out for those as well. Fantastic. Well, we'll certainly list some of the resources you've mentioned um, on the the podcast page on the journal website. So um, all that remains is to thank you both for for joining us today. It's been been a a great episode and a really, really um, important subject. So thank you, Claire. Thank you, James, for coming and speaking to us today. Cheers. Thanks. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Uh, If you'd like to find out more, you can visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at CII Group. So until next time, stay safe and thank you for listening to CII Radio.